Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. This is Patrick Rao, NGI's Director of Strategy and Research, and I'd like to take about 15 minutes to discuss how more U.S. LNG liquefaction projects may lead to structural changes in the domestic natural gas market. Now, the EIA natural gas supply and demand statistics for December, they just came out a few weeks ago, which means we can now wrap a bow around calendar year 2022 activity. Exports averaged 10.6 BCF a day in 2022, up nearly 9% year-over-year, and have been coming in more like 13 to 14 Bs a day in recent days. Now, that figure isn't likely to rise too much in 2023 from those levels, considering there isn't any new capacity expected to come online in the U.S. this year. We should get a full year of Freeport and Calcasieu Pass, but maintenance at other facilities will likely eat into those gains a bit. I mean, after all, U.S. facilities have been running pretty hard for the last year plus, especially following the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Much the same can be said for global liquefaction capacity. Total global LNG supply was roughly 400 MTPA, million tons per annum in 2022, and several sources noted during fourth quarter 22 earnings calls that only 20 MTPA of international capacity will be added during the next two years. And by the way, if you want a rough and conservative measure of what this means in BCF a day, just divide MTPA by 7.6. So that equates to roughly 2.5, 2.6 BCF a day of additional capacity in the next couple of years. So not all that much on a global scale. Longer term, we believe the world will need another 300 MTPA of production capacity by 2030. Now, roughly 170 MTPA of that is either under construction or has already reached FID, which leaves just another 130 MTPA or so that needs to reach FID. We note that several sources believe that at least 65 to 80 of that should reach FID in calendar year 2023. And that 130 MTPA figure of additional capacity I just mentioned, that could actually be too low since output from existing plants around the world may slow down. Chenier noted that since 2010, Legacy LNG trains around the world have reduced output by 23% from the combination of, quote, outages, feedstock limitations, fleet inefficiencies, as well as competing domestic demand in some markets, unquote. Now, the U.S. will certainly get its fair share of new LNG liquefaction projects, and we estimate that that will push U.S. LNG production up from the 10.6 BCF a day last year that I mentioned up to 25 BCF a day in 2032, 10 years from now. In other words, we expected to more than double during this time. And that doesn't even include an increase in U.S. pipeline exports to Mexico to supply potential LNG liquefaction projects there. And we believe that could add another 3 to 3.5 BCF a day to U.S. demand. Now, this is a big call on U.S. gas over the next decade. So given this Why the lack of FID activity in the United States in recent quarters, especially following, again, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine and the subsequent spike in global gas prices? Well, it's certainly not from a lack of interest. 
Baker Hughes mentioned that LNG conversations with its customers have not slowed down. And Energy Transfer noted the LNG market along the U.S. Gulf Coast is extremely competitive these days, which has taken them longer to reach FID on their Lake Charles project than they thought, something that they originally believed would happen by the end of last year. Now, we believe that rising cost inflation and interest rates have slowed the development of LNG projects significantly in recent quarters. With the long-term need for LNG and the long lead times that these projects require, we do expect that FID activity should pick up in the months ahead. So how much volume around the world should FID in 2023? Again, the most frequently quoted range we've heard is between 50 to 65 on the low side. And Baker Hughes believes that number could reach 115 MTPA at the very top end. And again, the U.S. should have its fair share of that. Now, it's currently March Madness time. And in the days leading to Selection Sunday, we heard a lot of chatter about the next four in, the next four teams in. We at NGI don't venture to handicap which U.S. LNG projects might reach next FID ourselves, but we will note that Flex LNG, a company that is extremely well dialed into things like this, they mentioned that the next four U.S. LNG projects reach FID could be Rio Grande in Port Arthur in Texas and Calcasieu Pass 2 in Lake Charles in Louisiana. And all four of those projects certainly have a degree of momentum. Not to be outdone, Chenier also mentioned in late February plans for Sabine Pass 5, which would provide another 20 MTPA of capacity. And given their existing track record, that has to be taken seriously. And by the way, as an aside, Chenier actually plans to go against the trend of smaller, more modular train sizes by increasing the size of the ones they use for Sabine Pass 5, from the 4.55 MTPA per train they currently use to 6.5 MTPA, largely in an attempt to bypass power that is generated from coal in Texas. So call us a one-off situation if you'd like, but it's just another example of how ESG and energy transition are playing a role in USLNG, but that's another discussion for another day. Anyway, longer term, we believe there are a number of other obstacles and potential challenges U.S. LNG producers are likely to face that are likely to impact the domestic gas pricing going forward. And that brings us to the focus of our podcast here. As Enbridge mentioned on their fourth quarter 22 call, quote, the biggest challenge on U.S. LNG continues to be permitting issues. Permitting, 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 not commodity, 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 unquote. For example, just how difficult is it to build new natural gas pipeline projects in the United States outside of states like Texas and Louisiana, maybe? Well, extremely difficult. And I thought this was extremely telling. Enterprise Products currently carries an investment-grade debt rating of triple B+, yet they mentioned on their fourth quarter earnings call that they prefer not having an A- rating because going to that would remove the flexibility for them to be aggressive when it comes to external M&A opportunities. Triple B plus rated TC Energy alluded to much the same, saying being A minus no longer drives them. So I took a stab at estimating how much being upgraded to A minus might increase the enterprise value for each company, with enterprise value being the market cap of the equity plus the value of debt less cash for each company. Now, for both, I assumed an upgrade would lead to a 30 basis point decrease in their cost of debt, and then I reverse engineered a basic discounted free cash flow model. So not to bore you too much with these details, if they use Bloomberg's weighted average cost of capital data and consensus free cash flow estimates for each company, and if I assume a 3% growth rate in the terminal period, 
I estimate that moving to A minus debt would increase the enterprise value of enterprise oh. products by 320 million and TC Energy by 650 million. So nearly 1 billion for the two companies combined. That's a pretty big price to pay, or at least on an opportunity cost basis, if you will, for that M&A flexibility. And it really helps to underscore just how much more valuable existing pipelines are in the face of permitting difficulty. So actually putting a dollar figure to the problem here. Another question is from where will future production come to supply these long-term LNG offtake deals? There's been increased talk of U.S. shale core inventory exhaustion across the country. And Pioneer Resources CEO Scott Sheffield opined early this month if that output in the permanent basin may peak in the next five to six years. Moreover, competition from Mexico LNG projects could accelerate this process, since most of these would tap into U.S. natural gas. Our colleague and friend Eduardo Prudholm wrote an excellent column addressing the potential for proposed Mexican LNG liquefaction projects in an article that was published in the Mexico Gas Price Index on March the 3rd. And we'd certainly recommend our readers have a look at that. So net-net, the larger the draw on U.S. production, the more quickly producers may have to tap into less economic acreage, which would drive up production costs and consequently put upward pressure on the sales prices producers would need to receive to keep the spigots running. This, of course, assumes technology gains aren't able to keep driving costs lower to compensate for this dollar-to-dollar, But if the recent slowdown in efficiency gains is any indication, that may prove to be a tall task indeed. Now, it's not as though U.S. producers don't want to help. And in fact, several major U.S. E&P companies are looking to step up their international price exposure. For example, Exxon has a 30% stake in the Golden Pass facility that is currently under construction, and ConocoPhillips recently entered into a similar 30% equity stake in phase one of the proposed Port Arthur project, But we note that these two companies have prior experience operating in the international LNG space. More interestingly to us is how will pure U.S. independence, companies that have largely been focused on the U.S. and have been isolated from the rest of the world, how will they increase their exposure to international prices? EQT Corporation, which is the largest natural gas producer in the United States at 4.7 BCF a day, well, they floated the idea of developing their own LNG project which would be the ultimate form of equity participation. This, of course, assumes they can get all the permitting they need. Now, others like EOG Resources, APA Corporation, formerly Apache, and Tourmaline Energy, they've taken a relatively less risky approach by signing integrated production management deals with Chenier, that Chenier is using to backstop specific growth projects. Under these arrangements, Chenier will pay these suppliers an international gas price less shipping costs to move the gas from the Gulf of Mexico to global markets, less liquefaction costs, and subtracting other relevant fees. So in essence, these producers will receive a net back price. Now, the key to these integrated production management deals is that Chenier's required producers to be investment grade, and that has shut out a number of would-be producers from participating in this type of structure. But that could be changing. And we believe that could have a significant impact on future U.S. natural gas production. Earlier this month, Chesapeake Energy announced it had entered into a 15-year supply agreement to supply Gunvor with up to 2 MTPA of LNG delivered into the United States Gulf Coast on a free on-board basis at a price that would be tied to an Asian gas index. The companies will jointly select the most optimal liquefaction facility to liquefy the gas produced by Chesapeake, with a targeted in-service date of 2027. 
Now, two MTPH translates roughly to 200 mmCF a day, which we estimate is roughly 7% of Chesapeake's current U.S. natural gas output. Now, the key here is Chesapeake does not have an investment-grade debt rating. Its rating is just BB, double B, and they still need two full upgrades to reach investment-grade status. Chesapeake clearly has been trending in that direction, but rating upgrades, they just don't happen overnight. They're hard to get. Moreover, Chenier used their IPM deals to help backstop specific projects, but I note again that Gunvor and Chesapeake still haven't selected the specific GON liquefaction facility, so there's a bit more uncertainty there. Now, then again, Gunvor, that's a trading outfit, and they're paid to take on risk. Still, it will be very interesting to see if this flavor of the IPM structure becomes more of the norm, because if it is, that opens up the potential supplier pool to many more U.S. producers. And why, you ask, is that important? Because the more U.S. producers that enter these types of arrangements, the more it may challenge the accepted model of publicly traded producers remaining in maintenance mode by limiting their domestic production growth. Moreover, dedicating more U.S. production to international markets will likely increase the level of price volatility in the United States, especially at the Henry Hub. And volatility at the Henry Hub tends to affect basis differentials across the entire United States. If would-be LNG off-takers cancel cargoes for any reason, like we saw during the pandemic in 2020, or if we have another freeport type of outage on our hands, that would send large swaths of gas back to the market that would need to find a home. And therein lies another problem. U.S. natural gas storage hasn't really grown since 2015. Now, that may have been okay back in 2015 before the U.S. began shipping LNG from the lower 48, but it's becoming a real problem now that both the LNG and pipeline exports to Mexico have grown significantly. In other words, the U.S. just doesn't provide supply to itself anymore. It now houses gas for Mexico and the rest of the world. So is more storage capacity imminent? Perhaps not, or at least not soon enough. During fourth quarter 22 earnings calls, Enbridge noted that it has seen markedly higher rates for storage recontracting, but Kinder Morgan noted that rates are still below what it costs to develop greenfield storage. It typically takes a couple of years for new storage facilities to enter service, and another wave of LNG export capacity will hit the U.S. and Mexico later this decade. So really the time to act on storage is now, or at least very soon. And we at NGI, we're going to be keeping a very close eye on developments in the storage space. Now, one other factor to consider is how might the emergence of fast LNG impact the market? Typical onshore LNG projects take four to five years to enter service after reaching FID. But New Fortress Energy is about to go live with its first fast LNG facility off the east coast of Mexico here in July, a bit more than two years after giving that project the green light. New Fortress currently has five units in varying stages of development, and all five will end up in the Mexico and U.S. sides of the Gulf of Mexico. But what about future units? Can those be deployed in other parts of the world? And what's the barrier to entry to this technology? By how much can these and its sister technology floating liquefied natural gas, how much can that eat into the 130 MTPA of additional LNG we estimate that the world will still lead to FID in order to reach service by the end of the decade? Will that impact future onshore projects in the U.S.? And if so, that would have obvious ramifications on potential U.S. natural gas feedstock demand going forward. So all in all, look, projecting gas prices long-term, it's always a difficult exercise. 
But what we can say with certainty is that the emergence of U.S. and Mexican LNG will only add to the uncertainty in the form of greater price volatility, again, both at the Henry Hub and for regional price differences. The conclusion being that the need for risk management, it's only going to grow in the years ahead. That's certainly a lot to think about, and we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. On behalf of everyone at Natural Gas Intelligence, I'd like to thank you once again for tuning in today, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. All the best, everyone. Take care. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or bid-week pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.